Father, we thank you so much that you would choose uh, people like us to come and hear a message this morning from your word. And I pray, God, that the, the word um, that you have given us would not return to you void. It would not uh, be empty. This wouldn't be a waste of time for anybody. But Father, that you would pierce through to our hearts and cause us to understand in a deep way, in a way that we've never understood before, how much you love us. How much a relationship with you fixes everything. How much, Jesus, you have paid for our healing, how much you have paid for our forgiveness, how much you have done. And Lord, I pray that there would grow inside us a deep and true response. Not trying to pay you back, but just responding to a great act of love that you showed to us and that you did for us. And Lord, I pray that you would spiritually draw and call all of us to a deeper place with you today. Lord, we uh, freely confess that we don't deserve you. We don't deserve forgiveness. But we still have every right to come and ask you to forgive us because of what Jesus has done. So I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for those who come in here and have a real burden or, or they're hurting. And I pray, God, that by your spirit, you would give them relief. I pray that you would, you would bring comfort into the hearts that come in here. And they would know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that comfort comes from you, Jesus Christ, and no one else. That you are the God of all comfort, and you will be that to those people here today who would come to you. Lord, I, I ask that every word that I say would be just, just what my king would have said here today. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever been afraid of dying? I'm not really asking whether you're scared of getting ran over by a bus or cancer from your cell phone, but are you afraid of what follows dying? The judgment. I have an unnatural fear of falling into the Grand Canyon. We went there with my boys a couple years ago, and I had a literal, almost nervous breakdown because I just pictured myself like Emmett from Lego Story, just falling into the canyon and banging, but I know I don't bounce like that. And so I was worried, and I have this fear, and it's not, I know hardly anybody falls into the Grand Canyon, but there have been people that have fallen, and so I freak out about it. I don't like heights very much, and I certainly don't like the Grand Canyon. So what I'm really asking is, are we afraid? Are we afraid of what happens after we die? Are you afraid of simply not living? Or are you afraid of being judged? Are we afraid of that? I found this article in a secular um, magazine this week, and it's written from the perspective of the world. And, and so I'm going to quote from this article, okay? And it's going to kind of be a basis of a little bit of what we talk about. In our, pro in our project that collected life wisdom from over 1,200 of the oldest Americans, one thing I knew I wanted to ask them about was death. Yes, I confess that the whole death thing is pretty troubling to me. It's that one event you just can't get out of. The statistics are staggering. One out of one people die. Of course, I'm not alone. There's actually a whole new school of psychology, psychological research based on the concept of terror management. 
And this theory, not one of the more cheerful ones in social science, posits that the awareness of our own inevitable death creates the potential for debilitating terror, against which then we have to try to find psychological ways to defend ourselves against this terror. And he continues, he said, if anyone should experience this kind of terror, it's the very old. They are, after all, statistically much closer to the end of life than those under 60. I didn't point that at anyone. No matter how healthy or active they may be today, they are genuinely at death's door, or at least at the front steps. So I read that article, and I thought about how the world deals with the idea of death and what's coming. So they've recognized, the world has, that everyone dies. Well, good for them. That's pretty obvious. So there's the fanatical atheist. The atheist. And they just think that everyone becomes worm food and that's it. You just die and that's the end. And then there's the new age, like, kind of type religions, the new age philosophies who think we all just kind of float away into the great nothing of everything or get recycled back, and and they have this type of idea. Both of which simply ignore the most important part of dying, which is one word called judgment. Judgment. If you die and disappear, well, that's better than living forever in hell, which is not something we want. But what if it's not true? What if you're not a good singer? Simon Cowell will tell you so right? He was that mean judge on American Idol. If your food is no good, Chef Ramsay will string creative curse words together to explain it to you, how bad your food tastes. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you guys how you can be free from the fear of death and how the truth of judgment doesn't have to be scary for us. How you can live also today with purpose and an honor for God. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Because most people honestly are afraid of dying. And for good reason. They reject that they're just going to be worm food. You know, they don't accept that. Because that basically would mean that this whole life is worthless. Nothing matters if we just die. Why would it matter? And most people reject the idea of this cosmic unity of the new age afterlife uh, for simple lack of proof and lack of common sense. Some people believe it, but most reject it. Most people listen to that little Jiminy Cricket in their mind, their conscience placed there by God, which tells us all very clearly that we have sinned. We've sinned. And then we read the Bible and it tells us that we have sinned. And it gives us the clear consequence for that sin, which everybody knows is a scary word called hell. It's judgment. What do you get when you cross a lawyer with a demon from hell? Another lawyer. Sorry if there's any lawyers in here. You don't have a good reputation. But the Bible teaches us that everyone will be raised up when they die. After they die, there will come a resurrection for every single person, good and bad. Just like Jesus was raised up 2,000 years ago. On this day, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus 
had been crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead, showing us what resurrection is. He received a new life, glory, and that's what resurrection is. But there's going to be two resurrections, a resurrection of the unjust, the wrong, the evil, and the resurrection of the, of the good. So I'm going to give you two quotes, both by Spurgeon. And Spurgeon is an awesome man because he had a beard and he was a great preacher. Sideline, he was a great preacher. Um, but I'm going to give you first a quote about the person being raised who did not, who was not righteous before God. This is what he says. Brethren, the wicked must rise again from the dead. The lip with which you have drunk the intoxicating, drink, the intoxicating drink till you have reeled again, that lip shall be used to drink down the fiery wrath of God. Remember, too, ungodly woman, the eyes that are full of lust will one day be full of horror. The ear with which you listen to groans, shrieks, and tortured ghosts. Be not deceived. You sinned in your body. You will be judged in your body. It must lie in the fire and burn and crackle throughout all eternity. It's very graphic. But he also says there are going to be some who are raised to life. And this is his description of that. I will not fear thee, death. Why should I? You look like a dragon, but your sting is gone. Your teeth are broken, O old lion. Why should I fear you? I know you are no more able to destroy me. But you are sent as a messenger to conduct me to the golden gate wherein I should enter and see my Savior's unveiled face forever. Expiring saints have often said that their last bed had been the best they ever slept on. So why is there such a difference? And these quotes bring us to our text that we're in God's perfect word today as we celebrate what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. And it says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of sin or death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So when Jesus died 2,000 years ago on the cross, he really died. But it was not for himself. It, the Bible tells us in Daniel, uh, which was written nearly 500 years before Jesus was born, that the Messiah, Jesus, would be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, it talked about, and in Isaiah 53, it talks about how he would be crucified before crucifixion was even invented as a form of punishment or as a form of, of uh, execution. It said he would be crucified, but he was not cut off for himself, he was cut off for us. He was killed for us as a substitute for the punishment that we deserved. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes, we are healed. His suffering brings us forgiveness and grace. His blood is the one thing that cleans us of our sin. Only his blood, nothing else. No good efforts, no good intentions, no good family or good performance according to the law. 
only his blood. So because Jesus died on the cross, I can be forgiven of my sin. That's the glory of what we're talking about. So anyone who would call upon the name of Jesus in faith will be forgiven. Have you called out to Jesus to forgive you? Have you asked him to be your substitute? If you have believed in your heart and you've done that, you've just asked him, you just cried out. And I don't know if that was with words or just in your heart, but if you asked and believed it, you are saved. You are forgiven. But that's only half the story. That was what happened on Good Friday. Friday, a couple days ago, is the day Jesus was crucified, where he bought that forgiveness for us. But today is Resurrection Sunday. There's so much more to the Christian life than just being forgiven. He doesn't just forgive you of your sin for you to keep on sinning. He has a new life in store for you, a new life. And that's where we get to in our text. It says, so when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When Jesus died, he died without sin. He never sinned. You guys have heard the story of Jesus. You know, he died a sinless man. And so death had no right to him because death is the penalty of sin. The reason why people die is not just because that's how God made it. God didn't make it that way in the Garden of Eden. Death came because of sin. That was the punishment. And so Jesus didn't sin, so death had no right to him. So three days later, he rose from the dead with a new body full of glory and power. And when Jesus died, he shouldn't have. He should never have felt any pain or the curse of death, but he felt it for all of us. And so when we die now, God's promise is to us that we will get a new glorified perfect body that is prepared and equipped to live forever in the environment of heaven. All the aches and pains, all the cancers, all the broken bones, all the temptations and weakness will all be gone. And it will all be replaced with perfection. Perfect senses, perfect understanding, perfect perspective, perfect bodies, able to live forever and immortal. In Isaiah 25, verse 8, it says, and this is what he's quoting here in 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's telling us he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So, but what happens to this whole death thing? Death is pictured many times in our society as the grim reaper. You guys picture that in your mind? He's got the big black cape and the big sickle, right? Today, I want us to think about him as a lion, as a lion, a ferocious lion with sharp teeth to destroy all people who die. And when Jesus died, the lion, what happened is he let that lion chew on him so hard that he lost his teeth. His teeth fell out. And now he's a toothless lion, just a big kitty cat. He still sounds ferocious. When you hear the word death, it still conjures up, oh, I don't want to die. You hear about someone dying in a horrible way and you're like, oh, 
Gives you the heebie-jeebies, right? But in reality, when you believe in Christ, when you're his child, it can do nothing to you. Death is swallowed up in victory. The father asked the son to drink a cup. And Jesus said in John 18, 11, shall I not drink the cup which the father has given me to drink? That cup was the death that we all deserved, the punishment, the judgment part of death, the, the horror and terror of punishment of our sins. He swallowed it up. He drank it down and nothing has come up, coming back up. He doesn't have any sin digestion. Nailed it. But no, now he says in verse 55, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Paul, as he's writing this, he gets so worked up about our victory over death that he starts mocking death through what Jesus has done. He says, I thought you were a big, scary lion. What's up now? You got a problem, huh? Do ya, do ya, do ya? You want a piece of me? Oh yeah, I'm not scared of you now. Dory. The world, though, it doesn't have this. It doesn't have this attitude. It doesn't have this ability to not be afraid of death. No matter how hard the gangster is, no matter how scary or scary or sorry, excuse me, sorry someone is, or how much they ignore the coming judgment, they don't dare have the guts to mock death. But we can. Why do you think so many Christians could sing praise to God while being burned at the stake or fed to lions? How could they do that? We hear these stories. Ignatius, he yelled out as he was just about to be devoured by wild beasts in the arena in Rome. He yelled out, my birth is imminent. Forgive me, brethren. Don't prevent me from coming to life. Meaning, don't get in my way. Let the lions get me first. How can he do that? And I know as I say that, that the world, the natural way we think, thinks, no, you try to survive. Every movie you see, they're trying to survive, right? So how could we have that idea? Death is nothing at all to fear for a man who is saved from sin. It's just not. It might hurt a little, and I'm sure that that hurt, getting bit by a lion or getting burned. I'm sure there was a, an amount of pain, but it's nothing compared. It's a small thing compared to the judgment of sin that lasts eternally. A thing that this, this little pain you feel when you die, the little pain we have on this earth, it will soon be gone. And verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, in what he did on the cross, the stinger of death is removed. The teeth of the lion are kicked out. The standard of the law that we look at, and we see those lists of Ten Commandments, and it pronounces to every single one of us, guilty. You failed. Yeah, but I tried. Ah, you failed. But you don't understand. My parents, oh, but you failed. But what about no excuses at all? The law is great and perfect at saying, 
you failed, you sinned, you lose. But he says, but thanks be to God who frees us from that. If keeping the law was a game, you win if you're on Jesus's team. He says here that Jesus gives the victory to whoever asks. He just gives it. He won the game and you can be on his team. But it's more than a game. It's a war. And the victory on the cross is now offered to every man and woman and child in the world who would say, I'm, on, I'm with Jesus. I'm on his team. I believe in what he did. Will you accept the victory that he offers you? Will you? Amen. I am too. We get to verse 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, stand fast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So if we have already won, what do we do now? While we're still alive, what do we do? He says, be steadfast and immovable. Always remember what he has done. Always remember. That's why he gave us the communion table. It's so that as we come to church, as you, as you come, and maybe you only come to church on Easter or Christmas or just a few times, and I, I'm fine with that. You can come. I'm just happy you're here because it gives us an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us. Paul says, Always be remembering. And you can take communion as often as you want. Jesus says, as often as you want, you can enter into what I've done and remember what I've done and let it become more powerful in your life. And the more you do, the more blessed you'll be in your relationship with Jesus. But we do it here every Sunday. We, we invite you and we say, come, let's take communion. Let's remember what he bought for us. He says, be steadfast and immovable in that. He never says be steadfast and immovable in going to church. That's not what it's about. He says, be steadfast and immovable in remembering what he has done, in staying in that place of faith, believing, saying, it's not me, it's not what I did, it's my humble dependence on his victory on the cross, and I just asked him for it, and he gave it to me. How do I know he gave it to me? I, I believe he did. He offered it to me, and I, I've received it by faith. And this works every day. Let me tell you how this kind of plays out in my life. I wake up, I read the word, I'm reminded of my failures and my shortcomings and my sin. I look to the cross, I thank Jesus for the cross, and I stand upon what he offers me at the cross. And then I move forward, always about to abound in the work of the Lord. By faith in Jesus, through the spirit of Jesus, it's all Jesus. And that's what Paul said here. He says, be steadfast and immovable so that you can abound in the work of the Lord. Notice I don't get these things mixed up. I don't get out there and I work really hard for the Lord so that I can come and hence spend some time with him and remember what he did on the cross. That is backwards, upside down, and would only create tired, burnt out Christians. No, the freedom that Jesus offers is he says, you just come and you just receive just let me pour into you my spirit, my heart through the word of God in the morning. And for that day, you will be filled. And that's why we need him every day. We need him every morning. That's how the gospel works. 
That's how it works in my life every day. That's how I know my labor is not in vain in the Lord, even though sometimes it looks like I didn't accomplish anything that day. Sometimes I go to have a meeting and they don't show up, or I go to the jail to teach the guys down there and nobody shows up. That's happened. And I think, God, man, or, or I just mess up all day with sin. How many of you do that? All the time. Man, we screw up all the time. But yet, when we've received already the gift of the Lord, he, it, he walks with us that day. He gives us confidence that we are serving him. That's how my life matters. I, that's how I think my life matters. God has done good works for me, and he's planned some good works for me to do, and he's planned my whole life out. And I can experience those things through the gift of Jesus. So now, not only am I not afraid to die, because I know I won't be judged for my sins, but I'm also not afraid to live. I'm not afraid that I'll constantly let my father down or let my family down or let my friends down. I'm not afraid to live anymore because I can experience the resurrection life that Jesus had today. As I spend that time, in, as I look to him in faith, as I spend time in his word, he pours that same resurrection life into mine. As I lay down my life as a living sacrifice, he fills me with his own life. It's called the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And I'm not afraid to live, and I'm equipped now to live. No longer am I just striving in my own efforts. No longer am I just trying harder to be a better person. And I know that's out there in the world. And so many Christians, believers, are get, get burnt out on life and get burnt out on the church because they say, I tried so hard to fix myself. I tried so hard to, to do the right things. I tried. And you know what I say to them? I know you tried. I believe that you tried. Unfortunately, that's never what God asked of us. He asked for us to surrender, to lay down our lives. In Galatians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 19, it says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's such a different life than the life of trying, the efforts, the man, I want to be a good person, man, I want to please God. God says, I know you do, and that's a good desire. You want to know how to do it? Lay down and die. Allow yourself to be crucified. For a Christian, death isn't scary because we've been dying every day. We've been crucifying our desires, our hopes, our dreams. We don't, we don't allow those things to run our life anymore. We lay them down and allow the nail to be put in them, seeing it being nailed on the cross. Our hopes and dreams and then we live just in God. We, we allow him to live in us. Our own plans, we let them die. Our expectations to live a happy, self-pleasing life, 
we, die, we let them die. Is life about the American dream? To be happy? No. It is to honor God. That is the point of life. Sometimes this world is so good at getting its, its little fingers around our heart and tempting us with what the world says is what life is all about. That it's about being happy, getting what you want, and we nail that to the cross. We allow his love to, to crucify that in our hearts. And each day, a follower of Jesus climbs back up on that cross and crucifies his flesh. Each day. And then what happens? Each day, we let ourselves experience a little bit of the sting of death so that we can experience the sweet fruits of real life with Jesus the matchless value of his full life being poured out into our empty cups. People are like, how do I fix my life? And I say, I have no idea. But the Bible says, empty your life. End your life. And let his life just flood into you by faith. That's a completely different offer than anything the world has to offer us. They say, go back into your past and figure out why you are the way you are. And Jesus says, you're just messed up. And let's just do away with the whole concept. Let's just do away with you and let someone who actually has life live their life through you. Just be a proxy. Just be the glove that the hand can go in and move. That can only happen when you lay down your will. Surrender your hopes, desires, dreams for the sake of knowing Christ. That's how that happens. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our only focus needs to be the Son of God. His love and his sacrifice which we will be able to focus on right here. His love pictured in the bread that is broken for us. Who allows their body to be broken for you? A true friend. Someone who actually loves you. His sacrifice, how he sacrificed. Let his blood be poured out for us. When we fail, we can trust him. When we seem fine, we need to remember him. When we feel need, we can trust him. When we doubt, we can ask him. When we fear death, we can trust the Son of God. And how do we, how does his love, how does he, how does just Jesus answer every question? Is because when we look at that, no one can tell us he does not love us. No one can say that. And the enemy tries as hard as he can to tell you, ah, Jesus didn't exist, or Jesus, he had other selfish motives, or he's trying to do this, or he's trying to control people. And it's all, you know in your heart, this witnesses to you that Jesus, no, he loves different than anyone else. He sacrifices more than anyone else. And there's a big reason for that. And I'm going to find out what that is. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts right now. He draws us towards what Jesus did on the cross. His new resurrection life will flow powerfully into your heart and cast out all fear for perfect love. Cast out all fear, the Bible says. It casts out all fear. 
Our lives can look like his resurrected life. What did Jesus look like when he rose from the dead? Was he afraid that someone would come kill him again? No. He walked around wherever he wanted. Was he even hindered by walls? No. I mean, he's like had glory. He could do any, he had all freedom and power. And that's the life offered to us today. Like Jarrett was saying, we get to celebrate his resurrection every day. Every day we get to experience his new life. Our heart of stone can be replaced with the heart that loves God's word and keeps his commandments by nature, not by effort. He gives us a new nature. And I know that for many of us, when we look at the commands of God, we look at the life that a, a Christian should live, it's intimidating because we think, I don't have that inside me. I don't have it inside me to always be truthful, to always be loving, to always honor God. And God's like, I know. So just lay down what your life is and accept my son's life to live in you and live through you. He will change your very nature so that those things are no longer a challenge. They're just your nature. I just want to do what God wants for me. I want to do his will for my life. I want a new life. We're going to end right now with a poem, a little, just one phrase from a song. It says, their inbred sins require their flesh to see the dust. But as the Lord, their Savior, rose, so all his followers must. All his followers must. All those who put their hope in Jesus will never be put to shame. So that's the offer. That's what we celebrate today on uh, Resurrection Sunday. Would you all stand with me? When Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? I'm sure the look on his face was total joy. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was beheaded. And it's hard for me to imagine anything but a smile being on his lips because he knew that he was forgiven. He was, he was guilty of murder himself. He was guilty of persecuting the church. He was guilty of every wrong thing imaginable. Paul was guilty. But yet he had confidence that when he died, it was all paid for. And that he was going to get to see the Lord. And that offer is for each one of us today. Every one of us today, if you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, you can ask him for the same thing. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I need you. And for all of us in here who, who are walking with the Lord, but who just know that there's stuff in the way right now, there's something in our life that is that we're not laying down. I want to get married. I want that job. And it's more important to me than anything. God knows. And he's not mad at you. His offer still holds. But he says, just lay it down. Just surrender. That's why we're called White Flag Calvary. Because to get his grace, to obtain his favor, he asks us to ask him to surrender our life. So we're going we're gonna to sing a couple songs, and the, the communion table is going to be open. So 
as he starts singing the first song, just uh, if you believe in Jesus and you want to remember him, you want to uh, pray to him and thank, you, thank him for the forgiveness he's given you, come over here and take a piece of bread and, and take a cup and spend some time with the Lord in that. And we're going to sing some songs to celebrate what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is no fear of death for a forgiven person. It is simply the, uh, the door that we walk through to perfect bodies, perfect understanding, perfect mind, perfect heart, healed goodness is on the other side of that door for us. And Father, I, I remember just, you know, in the last couple of days, there were 140 some odd Christians killed as they were praying in Africa. And they didn't know that this was the day they would be entered in. But we, with them, stand in victory knowing that they are in the glorified presence of God right now. If they each had their own faith in you. God, there is nothing that man or Satan can do against a child of God. And we have total victory because you drank it down. You swallowed it for me. You swallowed all the punishment that I deserved. You drank the cup. And you didn't even hesitate. You said, shall I not drink the cup my father has given me to drink? Because all you ever did was honor your father. All you ever did was what was right and loving. And Lord, I pray that there would be a deep move of your spirit right now. I ask Jesus that you would even bring salvation to people in here who have doubted whether they were forgiven. I pray that everyone in here would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their hope is in Christ. And Lord, I, notice I don't say that, that they have to feel forgiven. But Lord, this is a contract. This is a covenant that you hold out and offer and say, if you will put your hope and trust in my son alone, I will forgive you and become your father and adopt you as my child. And we don't have to feel like signing a contract. But if we make the choice to sign it anyway, it becomes binding. And Jesus, I pray that many hearts would be reaching forward their hand of faith, taking the pen of faith and signing on the contract saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you and I accept what you did on the cross was for my sin. I accept it. I don't feel it, but I accept it. I believe it. And Jesus, we know your gift to that person is not only forgiveness, but it's a complete new life, rushing in, giving them hope, giving them total victory, and giving them a new heart and a new life with new desires. Father, we call out to you. Save us. We believe. We will continue to believe. Lord, when we have doubts, we'll come to your word and we'll seek them out. We'll seek a brother and sister to help explain it. But Father, more than anything, we can know that you died on the cross for us and rose from the dead. And that proves to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that this offer is real, that your forgiveness is genuine, 
and effective in my life. Lord, I pray for everyone in here, Lord, that we would know you more tomorrow and the next day that you would begin working a deep work using your word to teach us about you. And Lord, we pray as we, as we search our hearts and, deci- and, and decide for ourselves, do I trust Jesus in the way? Do I know him? Can I go take communion? Lord, I pray that each person would be serious about that in their heart. Lord, we love you. We respond to what you've done. In your name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.